0: All right, praises be to God, we're gathered once again to study His words. This is Bible History Project. We're on the verge of finishing or completing the book of Genesis. We're not going to complete Genesis today. We're going to spend some time discussing Genesis chapter 48. Take note, Genesis has 50 chapters. We're going to study Genesis chapter 48 for this evening's Bible study lesson. Now, we left off from last week's Bible study speaking about the promise that Jacob made Joseph to make, right? What is that promise? That if Jacob were to die, he would make sure that he's not buried in Egypt, but together with his ancestors there in Machpelah. So shortly after the promise was made, what happened to Jacob? Let's read Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Some time later, Joseph was told that his father, was ill so he took his two sons manasseh and ephraim and went to see jacob so shortly after jacob makes joseph make a promise because he knew he felt he was about to die well eventually he became seriously sick and when joseph found out about the sickness or illness of jacob his father what did he do at once he took his two sons manasseh and ephraim And they went to see Jacob. And so when they arrived at Jacob's place, what did Jacob do? Genesis 48, verse 2. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up up in his bed. And so he was probably at his deathbed. He knew he was going to die soon. He was gravely ill. But when he found out Joseph was there together with his two sons, he became excited. So he gathered enough strength and he was able to sit up on his bed. Why? Why did he gather enough strength? Because he had an important message and something important to do concerning the promise of the Lord God. So what did he do? What was his message to Joseph and his sons? Genesis 48, three down to four. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And so his final message To his son Joseph and to Ephraim and Manasseh concerns the promise that God has made to him. Remember, God appeared to him in Luz. There were many times that God appeared to Jacob. And every time God appeared to Jacob, he had a promise. What is that promise? I will make you fruitful. I will multiply your descendants. Not only that, I will give you this land of Canaan, not only to you, but to your descendants. Remember, at this point, where were they at? Where were they? Not in Canaan, right? Not in the promised land, but in Egypt. And in Egypt, they were prospering. It was the prime minister, his son, Joseph. And they were prospering. They were increasing in number. They were becoming prosperous. And so this causes Jacob to remind himself and to remind also his son Joseph that that is not their true home. Where's their true home? In the land of Canaan. This is the land promised by the Lord God as indicated by the prophecy in the Holy Scriptures. And so after saying that, what did he do concerning his two sons or the sons of Joseph? Let's read Genesis 48, 5 to 6. Now I am claiming as my own sons, these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I, I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers Ephraim and manasseh and so what does jacob claim he's claiming the two sons of joseph his grand sons ephraim and manasseh and so he was gonna adopt them to be his own sons why though what was jacob up to remember he was about to die and before you die what do you have to give out the blessing right he had a blessing that he had to give out to his sons the, the blessing of the firstborn and the blessing to all the sons. And so what was in the mind of Jacob shortly before his death? Uh, this We find the answer in Chronicles 5, 1-2, which is we have to fast forward in history, biblical history, quite a bit. In 1 Chronicles 5, 1-2, these are the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn. So who was Jacob's firstborn? Reuben. Reuben. So Reuben should have been blessed with the firstborn. The, 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 the right as the firstborn should have been given to Reuben, right? Although he was the firstborn, the Bible says, his rights as firstborn were given to his nephews, Joseph's sons, because he dishonored his father's bed. We talked about that before. We're not going to discuss that today. However, Joseph couldn't be listed in the genealogy as the firstborn son. Even though Judah was more prominent than his brothers, And the prince, who is the prince? Jesus, the prince was to come from him. Joseph received the rights as firstborn. And so instead of the rights of the firstborn being transferred to Reuben, who was actually the firstborn, it was given instead to who? To Joseph through his two sons. Who are they? Ephraim and Manasseh. This is why he claimed Ephraim and Manasseh to be his sons. Why were Ephraim and Manasseh especially very significant in the life of Jacob? Let's read 48 7 down to 9 of Genesis. Long ago, as I was returning from Padan Aram, Rachel, do you still remember Rachel? This was the chosen wife. Of of Jacob, right? The one that she, that he really loved. Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way, some distance from Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road of Eph, to Ephrath. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons? He asked. Yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Why were Ephraim and Manasseh especially significant in the life of Jacob? Because they came from Joseph, who came from who? Rachel. Rachel. Remember, Jacob loved Rachel, but she died. If she did not die, Joseph uh, Jacob could have had more children through Rachel. And so Manasseh and Ephraim would be kind of like a replacement, right, of what could have been. This is why Ephraim and Manasseh, they were especially, especially significant in the life of Jacob because of Rachel. And so when he was about to, there were, he was about to carry out the blessing, uh, what did Joseph do? Genesis uh, 48, 10 down to 11, Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him. Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. I want you to think about that statement and the scenario, right? Think about the event. Here is Jacob. Not too long ago, Jacob thought that he lost Joseph for good, right? Because he thought he was killed by a wild beast. And all of a sudden, before he dies, he gets a chance to bless not only Joseph, but also Joseph's children, his grandsons. He must have been filled with joy, right? Unspeakable joy. This is why when he reflected upon that, he said to himself, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. You know, brothers and sisters, because God is our God, no matter what problem you may be facing right now, we can always hope that God is going to do something miraculous about that. You know what, Um, this Statement of Jacob, an indication of. In the book of Ephesians, I just want to jump to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Never underestimate the power of our Almighty God. You see, when you look at your circumstances right now, You may be saying to yourself, what I'm facing is impossible. What I'm enduring right now cannot be rectified. Brethren, we have God who can do the impossible. We have God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. This is why for us members of the Church of Christ, the people of God, because we have God as our God, If you find yourself in a difficult situation, always remember, next slide please, God can do beyond what we can even imagine or think of. Look at the situation between Joseph and Jacob. Let's begin with Joseph. Remember what happened to him? Next slide. Joseph was in prison, right? I don't know about you, but it's not easy to be in prison. He was in prison, yes, but what happened to him there? Joseph was not only delivered from prison but put in a position of authority where he could save his own family. This is the work of God. He did not give up when he was in prison. Brethren, if you are in a condition where you believe and think you are facing like a prison-like condition, always believe God can do something about that. God can transform your situation and cause it to work together for. Good. I mean, look at Jacob. Next slide, please. Joseph was not only given back to Jacob, he would also provide refuge for his family during their years of famine and give him grandsons. This is just a sampling of what God is able to do when we face impossible odds in our life. And Apostle Paul reiterates in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen. No ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to put yourself in the position of Joseph, right? You've gone through all these trials, and at the end, you're the prime minister, right? And you look behind you, you look at your life, what are you going to say? You know, what God has done is beyond my ability to imagine. Put yourself in Jacob's shoes, after enduring so much pain, you're thinking that your son that you love so much died, and all of a sudden he appears in your life as a prime minister, has become a place of refuge. And when you look back at your life, what are they going to say? My goodness, what God has done for me is beyond my imagination. That's just for this life. Apostle Paul is telling us God is not yet finished. Can't wait to see what God is going to reveal on the day when he will send his beloved son. This is why we should be excited for when Christ will finally be sent by our almighty God. So here's Joseph. He has his sons with him presented to Jacob. And so what does Jacob do? And what does Joseph do to receive that blessing? Genesis 48, 12 to 13, Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. This was a solemn occasion. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob because he knew they were going to be blessed. Right? And so he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. And so what Joseph is anticipating is that Jacob would bless the firstborn who is that. Manasseh, with his right hand. And he would bless the second born, the younger one, with his left hand. Who is that? Ephraim. So Manasseh on the right, Ephraim on the left. Because they believed if you were to be blessed with the right hand, it carries more power. right? It has more blessing. Because Manasseh was the first born. It's only right that he receives the blessing of The firstborn. So Joseph he positions the boys in this way. But what does Jacob do? Genesis 48, 14. But Jacob crossed his arms, (laughs) crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim. Though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. (laughs) That's very unusual. Maybe, maybe Jacob made a mistake, right? After all, the Bible says he was kind of old and he was half blind, right? Maybe he did make a mistake. Well, we'll find out later on. What we want, what we need to know now is both of the sons were blessed by. Jacob, Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, not only that, who also was blessed by Jacob, Genesis 48, 15 and 16. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys, may they preserve my name, and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their, their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Not only does he bless Manasseh and Ephraim, he also blesses who? Of course he's going to bless Joseph. But do you notice the disposition of Jacob? He knew he was, gonna, he was about to die, right? But do you kind of sense he was sad or happy? What are you sensing? Was he happy or sad? Was he in this desperation, or was he filled with joy? He was filled with joy, right? He, we can sense his disposition has changed because not too long ago, if you still remember last week's worship, worship sorry, if you still remember last week's Bible study, when the Pharaoh was introduced to Joseph or to Jacob, what did Jacob say about his life? Next slide. Next slide after that. Yeah, Jacob replied, I traveled this earth for 130 hard years. He was in a, he wasn't in a good mood, really. It was more like complaining about his life, right? And in another translation, Genesis 47, verse 9, Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Wow. So he seemed like he's complaining about his life. It's hard. It's filled with evil. It's a few days compared to my ancestors. And then all of a sudden, 17 years later, that his disposition changes. He no longer is complaining about his hard life. Rather, he was thankful for his life. Do you know why? Do you know what caused the change? Let's go ahead and take a look at Um, Jacob's hard life before we look at how he changed. I mean, when we look at Jacob, he did not live an easy life, right? I mean, all of us, we pray for an easy life, but God cannot use well someone whose life is too easy, right? We have to go through hardship and difficulties because this is what brings us close to our Almighty God. Sorrow is the way to God so that we can embrace His grace all the more and so Jacob's life was pretty hard and it pretty much sums up what most of us experience in our lifetime like what were some of the things that he had to endure next slide number one he antagonizes brother right who was his brother Esau, and deceived his father what else number two he had to leave home never again to see his mother alive he was running for his life right What else? Number three, he was forced to live with his uncle, Laban, who was nearly as deceptive as he, and to take four wives rather rather than just Rachel, the one of his choice. What else? Number four, his wives fought with each other over him, and his children hated one. Another, a lot of family dysfunction, which led to what? Number five, his daughter was raped, his oldest son had slept with his concubine, And Judah had slept with what appeared to be a prostitute. And so the family dysfunction continued. What else? Number six, he was deprived of his wife and her first son. Benjamin, the only remaining descendant of Rachel, was in serious jeopardy. What else? Number seven, he thought Joseph was killed by beasts. Number eight, a famine forced him to leave the land of promise. So his life was not easy. It was indeed hard. It was a difficult life filled with a lot of sorrow. This is why when Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? 130. But these years were very hard, right? But 17 years later, right before he died, he had some thinking to do. And what made him realize his life was indeed blessed by God despite the sorrow that he went through. Let's read the book of Genesis 48, 15 and 16. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. You know, when you have 17 years to reflect upon your life, you begin to realize many things. But brethren, do not wait until you're about to die to start reflecting upon your life. We can do that now. Because after all, we don't know when we're going to die, right? Can we say we'll be alive tomorrow? We cannot say that. What if we die tomorrow? What if we die the next day after that? We don't know. So what do we need to do? We need to reflect upon our life. This is what Jacob did. And so what did he see in his life? When he reflected upon it, he noticed that it was God who became the shepherd of his life to this very day. And so when he looked back at all all the sufferings and all the mishaps, he noticed, you know what, even though I messed up, God was right there with me, taking care of me. He was right there feeding me with his words. He was there to comfort me in my pain. He was always been there. This is what he realized. What else did he realize? God also protected him with instruments like the angel who would always redeem him and protect him from all harm. He realized all these years he was still alive despite the dangers that he faced in his life. What else? His name was preserved as was promised by God to Abraham, Isaac, and now to him. So he realized God is loyal and faithful to his promises brothers and sisters, we too, we too should learn how to reflect upon our life. Next slide. And so based on that passage of scripture, when we do reflect upon our life, there are three questions that we need to ask ourselves. You know what they are? What's question number one? Number one, you know, how has God guided me? Ask that. When it's time for you to reflect, you know, when you attend worship service, You come early to the house of worship, you reflect and meditate every day in our life. We need to ask this question How has God guided me up to this very moment? What else should we ask ourselves and reflect on? Number two, how has God protected me? Right? Did he protect us from disease? Did he protect us from accidents? Ask ourselves these questions. What else? Number three, How has God fulfilled his promise? You know, when we learn to ask ourselves these questions every day and reflect upon God's guidance in our life, even though we go through difficult times, those difficulties will make us more intimate and closer to our almighty God. This is what Jacob finally realized. And so he was so filled with joy when he got the chance to bless his grandsons but remember he crossed his arms when joseph noticed he crossed his arms what did joseph say genesis 48 17 to 18 but joseph was <laughs> he was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on ephraim's head so joseph lifted it to move it from ephraim's head to manasseh's head No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, on Manasseh, not Ephraim. And so perhaps Joseph was thinking because, you know, he's sick, he's old, he's half blind. Maybe he was making an honest mistake. And so Joseph was trying to correct his father, Jacob. What did Jacob say? Genesis 48, 19, but his father refused. And he said, I know, my son. I know, he replied. And so it was not a mistake. It was on purpose. Why? He said, Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. This was proclaimed by Jacob. He did not simply proclaim this on his own. This came from who? A higher source, right? This came from God himself. Jacob knew what he was doing because it came from God. Only God can make something like that, can proclaim something like that. Manasseh will become great, but his younger brother will become even greater. Who's that? Ephraim. This is why when we study Hebrew literature, the people of Israel is known as the people of Ephraim and Judah. Ephraim is synonymous with Israel. Judah is synonymous with the nation of Judah. Remember when Israel was split into two kingdoms? The north, the south, right? The north were the ten tribes, people of Israel. And the south, people of Judah. Both represented the people of Israel as a whole, the people of God. But Israel was known as Ephraim. Ephraim and Judah, and so what was the blessing that Jacob gave to Ephraim and Manasseh? 48 verse 20. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, May God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. I don't know. Have you noticed a pattern? In the lives of the patriarchs, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You notice a pattern? What, what pattern have you noticed in scriptures, in the book of Genesis, when it comes to the blessing of the, the being passed on from generation to generation? What, what pattern have you noticed? Yeah, next slide. It's the pattern of the younger getting the blessing of the firstborn over the older. Like what? Next slide. Remember Abel over Cain? Who was the younger? Abel, who was accepted. Abel, right? And when Abel was killed by Cain, there was a replacement whose name was Seth. And he would be the one to continue the blessing. Right? Next slide. It was Isaac over Ishmael, who was really the firstborn. Ishmael. But who was the chosen one? Isaac. Next slide. Isaac gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau, who was older though, Esau, but who was chosen? Jacob. Next slide. Joseph over Reuben, right? What else? Next slide. Now Ephraim over Manasseh. Have you noticed something here? Younger over the older. Why is that? What do you notice about this pattern? Next slide. The younger is the one chosen. The older, for some reason, was not chosen. Although by tradition, they should have been the one. But God is telling us it's not up to tradition. It's up to him. He makes the choice. It's about his sovereign decision. And so God is telling us God is in control, right? Whoever he chooses, this is called election. This is why we believe, we believe the process of God's election. He chooses whom he chooses. He will choose whom he will have mercy with and those he will not have mercy with. He is the one who gets to make the choice. The younger he has chosen, the older he has not chosen. What else do we notice about the younger and the older? Next slide. The younger is a type of the flesh, just like Esau, right? Or actually, this is the opposite. The younger is a picture of the spiritual man. Okay, so that's, don't look at the slide there. But the younger is a picture of the spiritual man. The older is a type of The flesh, you make the switch, okay? This is just a trivial question for you, right? So what is, next slide, what is the hidden truth in these examples? You know what it is? If you look deeper, I believe this is it. Next slide. God rejects our first birth, but accepts our second birth. What do you mean? Remember the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember what he said concerning those who want to see the kingdom of heaven? This is what he said in John 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if we want to see the kingdom of God, it's not enough that we're born once. We have to be born twice. How many here were born once? (laughs) All of us, at least, were born once. right? (laughs) All of us are born once. This is when our mother gave birth from the womb and we were the result of all that suffering. Right, So we were born once. But if you want to say the kingdom of heaven, we have to be born a second time. What does that mean? Be born a second time. Let's read the book of Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. If you're born, it means you belong to Adam, part of the human race. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new. Life. What does it mean to be born again? To be created anew in who? Christ Jesus. Because if we're not created anew or born again in Christ Jesus, guess what? We only have our union with Adam. And this union with Adam will result in death. But our union in Christ will give us what? New life. So there's a distinction made between the first man and the second man. Who's the first man? And who is the second man? 1 Corinthians 15, 45, 47, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth. Well, Christ, the second man, came from heaven. And so all of this choosing, the younger over the older, It was telling us about the way we are going to operate to receive everlasting life. We need to be one with who? The second man. Who is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the first, without the the second man, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we're stuck with death. But because of the second man, our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity for life everlasting. This is why I believe. The reason for all of these patterns is to tell us about the importance of the second man, who is our Lord Jesus Christ, and the necessity for us to be created anew in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as uh, Joseph and his two sons were blessed by Jacob, and he was about to die, what does he remind Joseph of? Genesis 48 21 to 22, then Jacob said to Joseph, look, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I have given your brothers, I am giving you an extra portion of the land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. And so God, uh, Jacob is reminding Joseph, Egypt is not the promised land. It's Canaan. And what does he refer to when mentioning this to Joseph? Genesis 48, three down to four, let's go back to what Jacob said. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, appear to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations, and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. God mentioned this to Jacob, mentioned it to Isaac, mentioned it to who? Abraham. What did he say? What did he give to these three patriarchs? Basically, what God gave was a prophecy. A prophecy, right? You know what sustained Jacob throughout all these long years of suffering? It was the promise of God, the prophecy. And so Jacob, on his deathbed, is telling Joseph, Joseph, remember the prophecy. The prophecy should sustain you. The prophecy is something that you should hold on to. And so why Genesis chapter 48 really is all about the unfolding of the prophecy that God has revealed to Abraham, Jacob, uh, Joseph, uh, Isaac and Jacob. The prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Do you know how important prophecy is? According to the apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Run to ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts. What is the purpose of prophecy? How significant is prophecy? The Bible says it gives us an assurance. This is why the Apostle Peter mentions prophecy as the more sure word. Because it can be counted on to what is it likened to. It's like a light that shines in a dark place. Have you ever been in a dark place? Yeah? If you have a blackout, electricity is not working and it's dark, you don't know where you're going, right? You move this way, you don't know if it's the right direction. You move this way, you're not sure. But when you see a light far, far ahead, then all of a sudden you get direction. You know what the purpose of light is? The purpose of the light of prophecy and why it's significant, especially during our time. Next slide. Based on... The prophecy in 2 Peter 1.19, light of prophecy, number one, it explains what is currently happening, right? Number two, it gives guidance and direction for the work ahead. That's the light that prophecy brings. It makes sense of the things that doesn't seem to make sense happening at the moment. This is why when Jesus was crucified and risen back to life, Many of the people during that time, they turned to prophecy to make sense of what was happening during that time. And so what was their conclusion? Jesus is the Messiah. That's what prophecy does. It makes sense of the events happening in our life. This is why it's very relevant for us today. Because many of us have experienced events that do not make sense. Right? All of us came from the institution. We were about to celebrate the centennial and all of a sudden, bang! <laughs> What's happening? We needed something to explain that. And so we turn to prophecy. Not only does it explain to us what is currently happening and the reason why it's happening, it also points to us a direction concerning what we need to do. Because prophecy is not meant to make us passive. It is meant to make us active. Active in what? to do what God wants us to do, the work of God. So prophecy not only provides explanation, it gives guidance and direction concerning the work that is ahead. Not too long ago, all of us were displaced. This is what we have in common. We could not make any sense of what was happening in the institution, what's happening with us, right? It did not make any sense until the light finally came, and it made perfect sense. What was that light of prophecy that we we firmly believe? Is being fulfilled today. Isaiah chapter one eight down to nine. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And so the prophecy in Isaiah one eight to nine it illuminated our thinking. Now we know why these events are happening before our eyes. Prophecy is being fulfilled. The daughter of Zion is becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. Or what did God do? He's going to set apart a very small remnant. This is why we were taken out. This is why we have been gathered. Because we have work to do. You know Isaiah chapter 1, 8 to 9 is a prophecy that comes in two phases. Did you know that? There's a first phase and there's a second phase. What's the first phase of chapter 1, of Isaiah. What's the first phase of that prophecy? Let's read the book of Isaiah one twenty-one to 23. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her but now murderers. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case has not come before them. What is the first of the prophecy it is to expose who the rulers who became rebels are when we first share this prophecy with our fellow believers this prophecy was not yet completely fulfilled right and so we continued with the work of exposition we exposed why because the prophecy had to be fulfilled what is that The rulers who rebelled, who turned the faithful city of God to becoming a, instead of a full of justice, became a harlot. It needed to be identified. Do we now know who the fulfillment of these rulers are? We know, right? Because all of the details of the prophecy has been fulfilled one after the other. Every single one has been fulfilled. This is why we know without a shadow of a doubt who became the fulfillment of these rulers. Now that that's finished, we go now to the second part of the prophecy. What is that? Let's go read Isaiah chapter 1, verse 26. I will give you judges like you had long ago, advisors like you had in the beginning. After that, you will be called the righteous city, the faithful town. Remember, the people of God was left, was left as a besieged city right it was conquered it was left in disarray it was left like a hut in a cucumber field and so what needs to be done it needs to be rebuilt why because the faithful city has become a city of harlots it needs to become again a city of righteousness this is why the work of exposing That's already passed. We're past that phase. We now go to the second phase of the prophecy. What is that? Building the righteousness of God. Building a city of righteousness through the leadership that God placed to administer his people. Who are they? The judges and advisors. We talked about the judges and advisors before, right? Not one judge. What is the meaning of a judge One who will settle cases and disputes. What is an advisor? One who will teach the word of God. And so God will place leaders, plural, not one leader to rule, but many leaders because the chief shepherd remains. Who is that? Our Lord? Jesus Christ. But I want you to focus on the work because the purpose of prophecy is not only to explain why things are happening as they are, but also to guide us and to direct us concerning what we need to do. The purpose of prophecy is not to make us passive, but to make us active. And right now, what we need to do is to focus on building the people of God so that we can have, again, a city of righteousness. This is our work. Prophecy is important. It's what guided Abraham. It's what guided Jacob, Isaac the patriarchs. It's what guided the apostles. It's also what will guide us today. This is why we firmly believe we're on the path that leads to God's righteousness. And at the end of that path, it is God's salvation. So brethren, let us be one in fulfilling this work that has been presented to us by our almighty God. This is our lesson. Let us all stand for our prayer. Almighty, everlasting Father, thank you so much for revealing to us our purpose as the very small remnant of your people in these last days. We are not surprised with how well the details of this prophecy has unfolded. Because your word is indeed true. Every single one shall be fulfilled. Yes. And so we believe that you have appointed us yes. to fulfill the work of preparing your people yes. so that we can obtain life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Help us, Father, to be fully engaged in the works of righteousness. Yes. And as we fulfill our works, O God, yes. may your blessing be upon us all. Yes. Give us the courage, O Father, To be able to complete the work that you have begun in us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We have faith in you. As our chief shepherd. Please direct us. In what we should do. We will do our best to please you. Our Messiah. May you please have mercy and grace upon all of us. That despite our weaknesses and flaws. We can be your instruments in these last days. Father remember your people who are going through difficult times, those who are enduring harsh conditions, those who are being reviled and persecuted. May you keep us safe, O Father. There are many evil people in the world today. And may you protect us, O God. May you shepherd your people. And may you lead us, O Father, to the great works of righteousness that you have prepared long ago. Father, bless those who are going through many trials in life, yes. those who are afflicted with sickness and disease. Yes. May you heal us, O God, yes. and give us many more opportunities to continue worshiping your holy name. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. or we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.